listening today. Uh, thank you for what you're going to share with us and for what you're going to um, speak to your people, God, wherever they are. We just ask that your guidance and your hand be with us as we move through the teaching today. And Lord, we, we want to understand and we want to know why we need to study this area. We want to get it in our hearts. And in Jesus' name, amen. So, oh my goodness, since probably October, we've been walking slowly through um, Ephesians 4, 11, giftings and callings. And I guess sometimes we say, why are we doing this? I will tell you that in the course of my life, and I like sharing this with you, you know, little things that when I look back, I realized that the number one reason why I was going to all of the courses and classes, you know, was to figure out who I was. And we do that. We do that because we need to know who we are and what our position is in the kingdom. But I don't want us to look at this teaching as I want to check the signs and get this checklist together to see if this is who I am. That is not why we're doing this. That is not why we're doing this. I believe strongly in hearing callings and hearing the vocation. And sometimes God speaks things to us that, you know, in our mind we think are true. But when we study and we hear, we realize that we may have misnamed ourselves. One of the important things about community, and especially when it's a, a righteous community, and there are plenty of them, don't think that God doesn't have a remnant because he does. And, you know, and then there are also different graces in teaching. One of the things I want you to know is this is not a replacement theology. <laughs> this is one of many layers that I believe God has people teaching today concerning Ephesians 4.11 ministry. I've talked to you extensively about changing language. I believe that to see language change, I don't use the language my mother used. I don't use it when she was when she was growing up or, or coming into her own. You know, when that generation, I think between the time that we're about 10 and 30, we develop a language. There are words we use. I remember one word I used to use, the devil was we, you know, was the word hype, you know, or or just different terms that we use in our lifetime based on our generation. My sister's generation was different than mine. There was, there's, you know, the age difference made me still um, a, a playing with baby dolls when she was, you know, trying to go to the next concert. So that shifted the conversation and it shifted the language. And so we're seeing language change with every generation, but there are some terms that fade out forever. And um, I believe, let me see this, hold on one second. I believe wholeheartedly that um, we are entering a place or have been been there already in the realm of the spirit in which language, language has changed even within the prophetic realm, even within the prophetic realm. So for that reason, you won't hear me say fivefold ministry because I feel like that, that when you use certain language, an entire system comes with it or an entire world that's familiar comes with it. When you change language, it changes your mind. It gives you room to think differently or consider in different ways what to say. So we're going to use the term apostle only as it means defining what we're talking about, but we're going to switch to the word emissary, which is really what that word means. And it takes the stigma off of of um just being title conscious more of being conscious of who we are on a more intimate and deeper way if that makes sense so we're going to do that with all of the gifts that we go through in Ephesians 4:11 so also we're redefining it according to what we're doing and what we're seeing in the 21st century and we're fo we're focusing on foundation 10 today what is the apostolic for real apostolic office for real and we're identifying nine indisputable core functions of Jesus Christ's life that clearly define the heart of the apostolic office for us today again i like looking at jesus because 
the apostles always pointed back to him. And I've discovered in my own life and teachings that I've done in the past, um, we look too much at what people do, even in the scriptures. And we don't really make the correlation between how was um, Esther representing God's will? You know, we, re we, we recognize that, but how was Esther like God? How was Esther like God? Not how was Esther just fulfilling her calling, but what were things in her character that looked like God because they didn't have Jesus back then. In the new covenant, we have Christ. So we must always ask the question, how does this look like him? How is this reflective of his eternal intention? Um, how does this make sense in the world that I, Teresa, am living in right now? Am I just uh, I'm calling myself an apostle or being called that because this is a something special that, that I feel like everybody should know? I think I've told you in the past, you can only be something to someone who recognizes what it is that you have. So we have no right to get mad at people who don't receive us and who we know we are because if they can't see it, they can't see it. It's maybe not for them. That's why I don't get it. When people call me, Teresa, have at it. That's my name, my government name. And that's what everybody calls me. And I always say, why would I be upset that somebody calls me Teresa? Now I might get mad if they call me my middle name because I don't like it. But Teresa is my name, right? So, you know, but in community where we have an understanding and we honor that, especially when we're doing the business of the kingdom, it's, it's okay, Paul did it. But, you know, it's, it's, it's not a sin either way. It's the heart and mind behind it that makes it what it is. So we just need to walk and understand that it's not that big of a deal. And we really need to understand, listen, 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 that what the Lord is teaching us is who he is. So if I'm calling myself something, it better be who he is because I cannot be that on my own. There is nothing in me that can produce that gift. There's nothing in you outside of Christ that can produce an evangelist, a pastor, a shepherd. There's got to be something in you beyond this world that produces that on the inside of you. And that's what Jesus teaches us. And that's what he's showing us. Our message is still not about proving that we've learned something wrong. It's not about discerning, dishonoring what we were taught. It's not about pointing out leaders who teach error, although we have to do that. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. In fact, that's probably where we're going to end our message. So I usually give you this huge recap, but I'm not. That's not necessary. Um, we don't need to go there. We don't need to... Uh, um, do it, but I always tell you, it's so important that you read the book of Ephesians, that you know the book of Ephesians so that there's context. We must make sure that we're seeing and seeing, seeking Christ and are hearing through, 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 through his life, his life, his life. I also want you to remember that ministry is people and not your activities and not your gifts. You're called to write. That is a gift. But what is the real calling? Writing is not a ministry by itself. The message alone is not a ministry by itself. How are you physically and accountably touching the lives of people? Oh my goodness. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to know. We want to see. We want to do. We want to live in that place. We want to live in that place. Again, we want to make sure these are some recaps from, from the teaching last week. So number one, when we talk about a sent one, most of us have already had that teaching. And what you'll hear a lot for people who hate authority 
or want equality for everything. I always tell you that we are equal as human beings. We're equal as sons. We're equally loved. We're equally gifted. We're equally called, but we do not have equal authority. We do not have equal authority. I want you to put a pin in that somewhere because that's where the rubber hits the road. Everyone who's sitting here today has authority in different areas. You have authority over your own life. You know, of course, that's first level. We always have the believer's authority, but you are in, in the authority to do the things that God has called you to do. You have authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions. You have the authority to cast out devils. You have the authority. You have authority, but we don't all have the same authority. Example, I have an authority in the scribal realm that other people do not. I don't have to tell you that. You want to know why? Because if you were to listen to my teachings or anything, and this is not bragging, I'm talking like Paul did. Paul said, I, I, you know, he said I could boast, but there's a point to be made here. The point is when authority speaks, everything about you transforms in that area. I'm not saying everything in your life, but certain words spoken get stuck in your head. You can't let them go and they mess with you for years. I've had people experience that coming to one conference and having no other contact with me. Not because we're not friends, you know, just life. But I go back and they, they reach out, think about me one day. I'm looking at our wreck. Their whole life is, what they're doing, how they've been transformed. See, authority is not how loud you preach. It's, listen, it's how effective the grace is on your life. I just want to say that. It's, it's how effective the grace is on your life. Remember, Dr. K taught us that we need to see grace as the grace to accomplish, the grace to do the grace to fulfill. Grace is not, God, look at the grace on my, that's not what that means. Paul was graced as an apostle to the Gentiles. Peter was graced as an apostle to the Jews. Could they still minister to either group? Of course they could. It, it doesn't mean exclusivity but it means where you operate in your greatest authority is where you stand. Let me go and try to teach somebody how to dance. Prophetically, y'all will be walking out of the room. There is no grace for me there, right? We have to understand where our grace lies. And I mean, some things, in scripture, I'm not, it's grace to teach. But when you have a community, God gives you pretty much whatever you need for that community that you're leading. But the first thing about the emissary is understanding that every emissary, every apostle had a grace. Last week, some of you shared that there were many different kinds of apostles. There are. But there are those non-foundations that I don't care what they're doing. Those foundations must be there. Doesn't mean that they're not legitimate if those foundations are not there. It just means something's not developed. Something's immature. Something's not cultivated right. Something's caught up in religion and, it, and it's hanging up on the edge. Have you ever had um, um, a hanger that won't come out the closet? And you're doing everything that's tangled up and everywhere. The Some people are in their gifts and in their callings. They they're there. It's, it's in the closet. The clothes kind of own it. But it's kind of stuck. Then it falls to the back of the closet and you got to dig through and behind and move shoes and slide boxes because the hanger fell behind the box. And then you bump and knock all the clothes over. Now you got to pick clothes up and, and put the, I mean, you know, it's, it's like all of these things that have to be cleaned up. All of us are a little bit in that place somewhere. 
So this is not a place of condemnation, but there is a point where certain things you have to question. If the apostle is not building a foundation in the foundation of Jesus, something is severely wrong. What do I mean? There should never be an apostle that's not hammering in what has been hammered in from the cornerstone until now. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Likeness and image. You can't move this off the foundation. We're building sons for God. We're, we're, we're developing sons for God, not sons for people, not sons for the big giant apostle over the region. We're, we're There's got to be a reflection of intention. Are you following me? Eternal intention. For those who may have not heard us teach on this, internal intention is simply referring to what is the end game for everything that God is doing. Because from the beginning, God had a plan and that plan has not changed. He wanted all of us to be one. Koinonia is the end game, oneness, complete, fullness, all restored, nothing lacking, nothing missing. If my eyes get off the end game, then my eyes are off Christ. If I'm focused on how to get my, all my haters, um, how many people can we get to come to this conference? Does it, you know, because none of those things are eternal. Now, influence is important, but that's the work of the kingdom. I, I, I hope I'm conveying this in a, in a great way, in a way that you all can understand. Also, we must realize that the office of the sent one is obsessed with 2 Corinthians 5 and 18. And if you don't know that by heart, that's a real problem, especially if you call yourself any Ephesians 4.11 gift. That's the ministry of reconciliation. That's the ministry of reconciliation. And we have to make absolutely sure that we live that immersive life at the foundations. If we are not, if we are not, we have to look at, again, whether we're mature enough to hold any type of um, position where we're leading the souls of people. Very, very, very important. Very important. Doesn't mean that there are things you can't do. It doesn't mean you can't serve. It just means you may not be ready for um, the level of responsibility where people are calling you every day. People are in crisis every day. Um, you know, you you know, you 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 have to be strong and able to stand when everything should be falling apart. Because listen, you can't be tempted to sin every time something goes wrong. You know, your vomit can't be your go-to. It can't. And it is for a lot of people. I'm sorry to be so graphic, but that's the truth. That's the truth. Their bad places are still their go-to. So when it comes to leaders and leadership and building people, you know, there are all kinds of leaders. You can be a leader at a baking shop, perfectly fine in your vomit. But you can't lead people in ministry that way, right? Right, so listen. So the office of the sent one, um, which is proportion to some, it represents the very core of Jesus Christ's eternal intention. Remember, all Ephesians 4.11 gifts are gifts of Jesus Christ. The scripture says that. And it says for the equipping of the saints, not equipping of unbelievers, the equipping of saints. Also, if you read the book of Ephesians, you'll understand that this was done in context with the church at Ephesus. So this was a local community experiencing certain challenges and they were organizing in a certain way that this is the pattern that God gave Paul to lead that community. 
Context is everything. This is not Teresa Harvard Johnson's interpretation of what the Ephesians 4.11 ministry is supposed to be is what the Bible says. If anyone tries to tell you that we're to take these gifts and do some stuff for, for and we, we build in leaders that don't even know God, that's not what this is. You can lead people that don't know God, but you better be leading them into the path and the presence of him, right? That's the difference. So we have to make sure we understand that. You know, as there are a lot of weirdness and a lot of strange things we have accepted that God is just not doing. I heard somebody say that they were the apostle of prayer. I don't even know how to take that. But things like that are going around. What what may be true is you have a, a grace in the area of prayer. But you're an apostle of Jesus Christ, regardless of where your grace is, right? So we can't we can't say that I have preeminent knowledge on prayer, that I have preeminent access that you don't have on prayer. I can't even say that about the scribe. God is raising up people now, but we were at the beginning and we're still dealing with foundations. We're still clarifying crazy. But God is doing it fast in people today. But look at the 20 years that we've had to build it. And the resources that people have now, they did not have 20 years ago. They should be growing like that. They should be. Oh my God. Am I a scribal commander? Of course I am. One of many. Right? So we have to see these kinds of things. Second Corinthians 5 and 18, all of us are ministers of reconciliation, but I tell you, the office of the apostles make sure you don't move from that place and that you don't forget that this is who you are. The first extensive teaching Jesus gave, Matthew 5 through 7, some of you know that I've been telling y'all every time, I don't think I've had a teaching for three months that I didn't mention, read that. So Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus gave, Jesus, this was Jesus's first extensive teaching. Think about this for a moment. The cornerstone, the chief apostle of the world, and he gonna come out telling people, blessed are this and blessed are those. You are the salt of the world, light of the world. This is how you handle the world. I mean, he comes out and he starts teaching like that. He didn't come out rebuking. He came out aligning people at their foundations. Why was this important? Because Matthew 5, 6, and 7 was countering the old way. Everybody wasn't blessed in the old covenant. It was just the chosen people. Everybody couldn't be salt and light in the old covenant because it was just the chosen people. Everybody didn't have blessings. It was just the chosen people. There were exclusions in the old covenant and Jesus brought them forth in inclusivity. He created a new foundation and a pathway of truth. Um, I think we've shared this over, over the last three years for sure. I believe the first time I taught you guys that part was probably in 2020. We should see Matthew 5 and 7 in context of the Bible story as Jesus's first opportunity to redefine or to define, not redefine, but to define what the grace of the gospel would do now that he was on the same. This is where we're going. This is how we're doing it. This is what we're accomplishing now. He didn't say, look at what Moses taught it. Moses taught this. and He didn't do that. He said, listen, you all know what Moses taught, but I'm giving you a better way. So Matthew 5, 6, and 7 was a better way. We see the nation of Israel expand there among those people who were listening because all of them 
would have known the law of Moses. That it would have been familiar. And then the people that were on the sidelines listening that were probably pagans were getting a, a revelation that made them inclusive. They were hearing for the first time that they could be included in this great release. So one of the number one things apostles do is fortify the, the heart of Jesus for people and for inclusivity. I promise you this is coming up to a point. It's what he does. How can I include everybody? This is basically Jesus' ministry with the hope that they would love me to the point of repentance. He's not looking for blind love. He's looking for obedient love. He's looking for people whose curiosity will lead them to transformation. Oh my goodness. And listen, he meets us where we are and we walk with him along the way. Even on Emmaus Road, he didn't force himself and he could have. They had no idea they were walking with the resurrected Christ. But some of us, well, you don't know who I am. That's the attitude we have today in all the Ephesians 4 offices. You don't know me? I was like, I was at a conference um, not too long ago. It was everybody you ever watch on, on CBN, on all your favorite networks. It was very interesting. Very interesting being at this conference. And, you know, they're just regular people, real nice. But we had this one situation where this real successful, well-known person came in. And he was like, I don't have to introduce myself. All of you know who I am anyway. I, style, I think I, la I laughed out loud. And I don't know if I was supposed to do it. I didn't know who he was. Meant nothing to me. Rattling off all the stuff. I'm like, I have no idea who this is. And frankly, that was my cue to leave the meeting. I, um, I stayed a few minutes. And I saw how it was going. I was like, mm, yeah, you can have that. I'll go sit in the lobby and read my Bible myself. That's a joke. I did leave though. But it's just, it's just the assumption, the gall. And so this teaching, Matthew 5 to 7, is critical because it shows us what was concerning Jesus. Not just every single little bitty thing that taught, but he wanted to make sure people could make the transition into eternity the things that he thought were valuable and important. From that point forward, we see the Sermon on the Mount. His focus was primarily building the kingdom. That's what he was doing with the Sermon on the Mount. He was building the kingdom inside people. This is petty. Don't worry about this. You know, this is this. Don't worry about that. I mean, he was literally giving them his mind. Some of us still, you know, I, I love the book of Solomon. But I'm telling you, it's nothing but wisdom. But there are some things in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 that shows us where Christ's mind is. Look at how he sees divorce. Because there was this word he used, but if, as opposed to don't. Little things like that. Where it was forbidden to the divorce, he's saying, but what if? Or if this, you follow what I mean? That's grace. Oh, oh, God, I don't know if you guys are hearing me. But it's just, it's so much. It's so, just in one line, you are the salt of the earth. You, you are the salt of the earth. But he looking at these people from a brown paper bag. But he's telling them, you, he's prophesying. I'm calling you forth as salt. I'm calling you forth. I mean, ah, uh, we got to see it. He didn't need 
to rebuke him because he understood the power of the prophetic. The apostolic understands that. When you have a wayward child, I know what's in you. I know what God showed me. Versus the list of every doggone thing they ever did wrong. And you reminding them of that at every opportunity. That's grace. People don't understand grace. They think grace is permission to sin. Grace is permission to grow. It's permission to learn. It's permission to transform. It's permission to learn from that last mistake you had. Apostles exist to help us keep that understanding sure so that people aren't moving and sliding back into you going to this and you going to that because you did this and because you did that. Oh my God. Oh. He, after that, he trained, I mean, he even transitioned John D. Mercer. He equipped the 12. He helped, John, listen, John was like, are you sure you're the Christ? In other words, John probably for a minute was like, I got to give, I'm going to have to move on. It's over. I have to move out of the way. He had to, John at that point had to enter into his prophetic word that he had prepared the way. It was over. The apostolic understands when it's over. <laughs> I hope you guys are hearing me. People don't like apostles, and I know that's said a lot, but people you lead get frustrated because you know it's over. But they're still wanting to hold on when it has to be reckoned that it's done. The best way I know to do that and to explain this to you, um, one thing that I find really ironic is that when we have a wayward child or some crazy uh, husband or wife or we're dealing with um, our money, or we're we know how to reckon it done. I know what God said. I decree and declare that my bank account will never run dry. I mean, we know how to reckon it done. But when it comes to our own behavior and practical things, we try to reason our way through it. And God sends emissaries to us, those that are proportioned by grace, to help, I'm, I'm proportioned by grace to help you with your mind. That is one of the gifts I bring to the conservatory. I'm, I'm proportioned to help you suck it up, buttercup. Which is what Jesus said to Job. Which what God said to Job. What God said to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, your wife is dead. What, what Jesus said to the man who was rich, leave everything you own and come and follow me. It's, it's not an, an abuse to say, suck it up. I wouldn't say it like that, even if I think it. And I think it a lot. But let's just say, you would say to someone, listen, you have got to plant your feet and not move. No matter how great the temptation is, because it's in your resistance that you break free. Oh my goodness. It's in your resistance that you break free. Resist the devil and he will flee. We don't like apostolic insight. We want to be cast out because we lazy. We don't want to do the work. We don't want says the apostolic, the apostle, specifically the office, is put in place to help people break their own selves, beat their flesh into submission. Now I'm sharing this because foundation gives share anointings and graces. 
The apostle and prophet are interchangeable in some of these areas. It's not all one and it's not all others because one thing is for sure, we do prophesy in part. That's not just about utterance, it's about releases. Especially if you're in a community. Is this helping you guys? We have to know an emissary when we see one, but most people think they're so mean. No, they just don't have time for your play play stuff. They know that there is work to do. Paul was not going to tarry with those two ladies pitching a fit in his church. He was like, y'all just need to settle this. But Apostle Paul, you don't understand. I don't need to squash it. Let that mess go. It's irrelevant how you feel. You're going to let a whole relationship die because you're mad about one thing that don't even matter. Something that's not eternal. Listen, that's 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 flesh. Oh my God. Jesus was concerned with building the kingdom. He was concerned with its way. Matthew 5 through 7, its way in the earth and its way in heaven. He was concerned with its truth, its truth as he ordained it, as he taught it, not our interpretation of what we want, but his truth. When I'm in the place of a hard decision, I'm not talking about where I'm going to live or, or how I'm going to spend some money. Or I'm, When I'm in a place of hard decision, I'm talking, God, can I trust you? God, I'm having trouble in this area. Lord, I'm dealing with this, this sickness in my body, this stronghold on my mind. I can't, Lord, I'm, 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 I'm single and I'm having single people issues. What is the kingdom way? The apostolic and the, if, if God is at work and you have the mind of Christ, he's going to say, resist. He's going to say, believe what I have said. Well, how do I remedy that? I believe what you said, God. Oh, thought, I believe, thought. You cannot exalt, thought. You cannot, thought, you keep trying to exalt. But you keep practicing, practicing, practicing. Listen, it's funny how people can get that, 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 that body, that beach body like nothing. But they can't transform their mind in the spirit. The apostle Paul said physical exercise is good but he said it's the spirit that makes the difference i'm paraphrasing but that's a whole scripture oh my goodness my goodness we have to transition see this is the thing about the apostle love to the apostle is not an emotion it's not an emotion to god love was not an emotion to jesus christ that mean we don't feel and we don't love. I love the people I lead with my heart. I love them. The emotion is there, but I don't guide them by how I feel. Matthew 22, 36 through 40, love God with all your heart. In other words, love him on his terms. Love him as he defines love. That's why I wanted you to listen to that past teaching. And you love others as yourself. In other words, I want to love you at the same level of mercy and grace that I love myself. That's what that means. Look, people will get mad at you for imaginary stuff in their head. And leave you on the side of the road. And, and it never happened. But it's real to them. And because it's real to them, a real healing needs to take place. When I realized that in ministry, I stopped trying to convince people stuff didn't happen. I didn't happen. I just said, okay, I am apostolic in my thinking. I am the sent one. So I need to, in this sit now, I'm not saying slaughter, take yourself and become a lamb on the cross. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I have to do whatever's necessary sometimes with the people I lead. Listen, I'm going to apologize anyway. Knowing I did nothing wrong. And I take that to God. I don't try to be healed by their acceptance. Does that make sense? 
but we do it with our kids. Sometimes you just have to agree so another person can get free and then you go and deal with yourself with God. It's not lying. It's recognizing what is necessary to help the person move on. They really believe this. They, they really believe this happened. They really believe that's what I meant. We see it a lot in marriages between husband and wives in arguments. You know, we believe the husband meant something when he says something and that's not really what he meant, but we're convinced it is. But we're arguing about it because we want them to, to, to explain something that we think they meant and they didn't mean that. See it a lot in marriages and in the church. Interesting parallel, isn't it? Oh my goodness. So we have Matthew 22, 36 through 40. So everything has a pattern and every, you know, Jesus did miracle signs and wonders, but he equipped the 12. Still. Then he had three that were even closer because he knew the apostle, the emissary understands that is not just the gift that must be exercised, but there's a people that must be cultivated in understanding why. I have to make sure that there is duplication. The apostolic office is concerned with duplication. Extremely concerned. If you want to see a frustrated apostle, find one, then a lot of them struggle that, 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 that have three people they can say they have duplicated themselves in. And I'm not talking about sounding like somebody and preaching like them and wearing the Barbie outfit and hair like them or looking like a Ken doll. We're not talking about that. We're talking about doctrinally. Someone who will carry the sound, the voice, Oh my goodness. Wow. The first indisputable foundation we covered was this. Apostles ensure that the eternal foundations and intentions set by Christ remain. And we know that the internal foundation, eternal foundation is the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus proved this. And I just want you to hear it in his voice. I always tell you the last things that Jesus said are the most important things. And they don't sound like a lot of stuff we think is important today. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross and give up the spirit, his, his spirit. He's getting ready to transition. He's getting ready to never physically in person and human form be with his apostles again. He's getting ready to make that transition. And his last few words, his last conversations from the last supper to that moment matter. And it would help us greatly to look at what he focused on. Oh my goodness. John 16 and one. He told them, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. Oh, my God. All that he said, I want you to be so stable that nothing can shake you. Foundation again. Foundation. John 16, 23. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Wow, very truly I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Jesus said, you won't need to ask me anything. Because listen, he understood they would be one. Oh, the apostolic understands that full measure brings you into oneness. The kind of oneness that you don't have to seek a prophet every five minutes. These words were never given in the old covenant. But the mindset today is 
you're a prophet. You got to tell me what I'm supposed to do. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Why? Because he gave you what he had, his spirit, Holy Spirit. If I do not go, the comforter cannot come. The apostolic had to ascend even further than that. The apostolic had to return to the place where Holy Spirit was hovering since the, he hovered over the waters. He had to go up and release the spirit into the earth for the first time in his fullness in the history of humanity. And it all happened on the cross. Can you see it? And he had to do that. One of the things I learned from my mentor is we think salvation was the greatest gift. It was one of the greatest gifts. The ultimate gift was the release of the spirit into the earth. So that each and every one of us had an in-person guide. We had one spot, one place in us where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit could dwell. We became temples. But here we are running outside of our temple for everything. We're not cleaning up our lives so that we can be the temple he wants. We're trying to live in both worlds knowing we shouldn't be because we cannot resist our sin. It's not the devil. No man is tempted except by the lust of his own flesh. If it wasn't in you, you couldn't be tempted. We're getting to the indisputable fact for today. Remember, if it wasn't there, there could be no temptation. I'm talking torment, torment temptation. Not you running into somebody that bring back an old memory for a moment. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about somebody stopping you uh, wherever you are, telling you how beautiful you are and asking for your number. We're not talking about that kind of temptation. We're talking about the kind of temptation that torments, that could snatch you out of the presence of God. We look too frivolously at some of these things. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything because he's living on the inside. He already knows. We have direct access and we believe in people to tell us we got to go to court. And I, I allow people to take our victory away and give us extra things to do. But anyway, that's why we need apostles who understand who they are because we need to keep the foundations clean. John 16 and 25. Oh my goodness. Though I have been speaking figuratively to you, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my father. This is where I got the new covenant revelation of dreams and visions from because Jesus never had the kind of dreams that we see in the old covenant that are full of symbols and symbolism. And I always tell you, it doesn't mean if you believe God can only speak you, to you in symbols, that's what you're going to experience. I expect God to speak to me plainly. I believe we elevate to a new realm of, of, of dreams and visions and being a seer because if I am maturing and I have the mind of Christ and I have all these gifts loaded up on the inside of me, that if I'm walking with God and I hear him every five minutes like most people do anyway, why can't I hear him speak to me plainly? When you read the new covenant, all of the apostles heard him plainly. And when they did hear him through a vision, there was immediate interpretation. What if we have not advanced to that level because we're holding on to 
that cap on that Kool-Aid jar that tells us this is how it is. I built that entire dream academy based on that revelation. And I believe I proved it theologically. Not saying nothing's wrong with God showing you things. Because, you know, I hear the mind and I, well, that's how God used me. And God always speak to me and symbols. I said there was more. I said there's the next level. That's what I said. Can you trust him that there is? Or are you stuck on this is how God uses me? Repeat, 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 glitch, glitch. Are we just going to stay there? Or are we going to explore the next level? Jesus saw as he walked. He is my example. Jesus saw things before he ever got there. I believe people who can see people they're going to minister to have tapped into that. I believe people who have taken people through healings and their dreams are, are already there. I think we just need the language and the lines to pull us all the way in. Oh, I digressed on that. But, oh, though I have been speaking to you figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but I will tell you plainly about my father. Well, if he's getting ready to go, how are he going to do that? That's the comforter. That's Holy Spirit living on the inside. Oh my God, John 17, 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, not where I'm going, where I am. Some people still waiting to get to heaven. But heaven is in you. It is within you. It's wherever God is. It's presence. The apostolic reminds you that apostles are supposed to be ushering us into these places. Apostles are supposed to be getting revelation for now. They're supposed to be leading us into freedom in Christ, not more bondage. They're supposed to be speaking of the kind of language that is plain. Oh my God. They're supposed to be helping you be where he is, not preparing to go. We're being prepared to be where he is right now. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God, I'm out of time. I'm out of time. But listen. Here we are. I'm going to read this. Read this. Luke 2, 34. Well, Luke 2, 25 to 35. Just bear with me. I'm skipping, 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 skipping. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, carefully observing the divine law and looking for the consolation. He was observing the law that he had been taught, but he was looking for the consolation of Israel. He was looking for the comfort and the promise of the newness. He knew that there was more. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Oh my God. It had been revealed to him by Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the physical manifestation of the consolation of Israel, the sign, the wonder, the fulfillment of his, of his mission and his prophecy. Prompted by the spirit, he came into the temple enclosure 
And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him the custom required by law, Simeon took him into his arms and blessed and praised and thanked God and said, now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to leave this world in peace because he recognized that the prophecy had been fulfilled. For my eyes have seen your salvation, even though he would never experience it, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, all worlds, all, well, wrong term, all nations, prepared in the presence of all nations. He will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles to disclose what is previously unknown. Oh my God, this Christ, Jesus Christ was meant in his apostolic office to reveal what wasn't known. If there are apostles in your life, one of the graces is to release to you according to your portion things that they don't know about Jesus. Not about the, the, the political system, not about, we're not talking about that. We're talking about revealing Christ. We're talking about revealing what is eternal. The apostolic is most concerned with revealing eternity. What is everlasting. That doesn't mean you won't get some of this other stuff. But in community, we have to move from glory to glory in Christ. Here and here. Mind and heart. But this is the part. And his legal father and his legal mother, well, his legal father and his mother were amazed at what was said about him. Simeon blessed them and then prophesied. Listen, this child is appointed and destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel. And for a sign to be that is to be opposed and a sword of sorrow, of deep sorrow will pierce through your soul so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Why is this important? I did a whole sermon on this, but I, I don't think I pointed out this part. Hear me carefully. The office of the apostle, while it is, we can never redo Jesus's ministry or his calling or his purpose is always about transformation. It's always about revealing what's in your heart that keeps you from the fullness of God. It's about clearing your foundation, not so that you can get in to some spot we think we're trying to get into in heaven, but to clear it so we can receive the fullness of presence. And listen, it's not about, girl, God's going to reveal your thoughts so you can be looked at and look at them thoughts. You know how we Oh, you banged because you thought that and you did. That's not the point of this. That's, we'll deal with that in just a minute, but that's not the point of this. The point of this is that you know what you need to sweep up and mop so that we can be free to walk in obedience. It troubles me when people take on the title of sitting one for a special release of grace and they can't even mop up their own lives. They can't even resist their own flesh. I'm just a man. You're supposed to be more than that in the kingdom. You're supposed to be a son of God. You're supposed to be a drowning believer, immersive. All of us are supposed to be immersive, but foundation gifts, there is a greater responsibility because it's not an ordinary calling. There is a, a foundation there that you're restoring in a, among a particular group of people. There's doctrine that must be upheld and you must live a life that can demonstrate it. God is not calling us to be perfect, but he is calling us to obey. 
So if there is a sit down, the sit down should come because you realize you're not able to obey God. The worst thing that we've seen in this hour is how people who don't believe are laughing at us because we live just like them. We allow our whole ugly darkness to be on public display. Put anything out there. We feel like we got to weigh in because a spouse asked us for a divorce. We feel like we got to have an opinion about people in the world. They're in the world. They're, they're in the world. They do not know God. Leave them alone. We need to be dealing with the kingdom and, and drawing people in. Oh my God. Our apostolic roots are revealed and listen, in the congregation, revealing where our hearts are. Not so we can be exposed, but so that we can go to greater places in the kingdom and understanding who Christ is in us. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let me say this another word in another way. Jesus Christ is the living word. <laughs> Not just the written word, but Jesus is rhema. He's alive and well on the inside of you. He's not sick if you're having spiritual trouble. It's you that are stopped up. Jesus is not sick. He's not avoiding you. Whatever is going on, there's a block there. Or a freedom there. And he's exploding everywhere. You can't keep up one or the other. Or there's stagnation. You're slow moving. There appears a time like that. Man. But the beauty of, the, of, of being an apostle is that you have to teach profitable. You have to teach doctrine. You have to, re, you have to teach for reproof. In this day and age, people don't think they need to be corrected. They think you're out of line correcting them. You can't be an apostle and not do that. Can't be a prophet and not do that. You can't. You have to deal with sin or missing obedience, missing the mark of obedience. You have to deal with, you have to correct, redirect, realign. You have to instruct. But listen, in righteousness, this place of, of the thoughts of many hearts is not, oh, look at that. I discern that this is that or is that. Is not discerning people. We get lost in that. Because if you discern somebody is something, it's for the purpose of their freedom. Or it's the purpose of protection for you being protected. But there's always a grace and a mercy that we must tap into. Because under the new covenant, it says, pray for your enemy. Pray for those who despise you, wrongly misuse you. You don't pray, suffer a witch not to live. That's law. Jesus specifically came back and demonstrated in the book of Revelation. And that's not the same Jezebel from the old covenant. But anyway, in the book of Revelation, we hear Jesus Jesus say, you know, I'm, I'm in that church where Jezebel is sitting. I just have one out with you. And that's the fact that she's there. If God felt that way, he was still in that church. He was still there prophesying. And he said, oh, I'll be here. That one 
weakness. They like the fame, the celebrityism, the influence that that person probably brought. They like the gifts they had. They had their eyes on the wrong thing and it was corrupting the congregation. But Jesus came because he loved them to turn it around. Indisputable. The apostolic office reveals the truth of hearts unto repentance. Not unto guilt and shame and condemnation, but unto repentance. All offices are driven by the love of God. They're driven by the, the love of God. So any conviction, any rebuke, any correction, any reproof, any, um, any of that is rooted in that one thing. We're still tapping into who Christ is and why he came into the earth. He fulfilled that prophecy and we're doing greater works by continuing it. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Father, we thank you for the teaching on today. We thank you for the insight given. We thank you, Father, for the understanding that's coming forth. And Father, next week we declare we'll just go through the other seven in that one call so we can wrap this up. But we thank you, God, for your insight, for your wisdom, for us seeing what the office of the apostle brings to the table, how it redirects everything to eternity, how it redirects everything to the love of God, how it redirects everything to the hope of glory, how the hope of the apostolic is transformation. Foundation is for transformation. Lord God, it's for transformation. And we're believing you that we're able to see our role in it, that the foundations must be taught, that we convict unto repentance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. You guys can.